Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wonky Cast. On this week's show, we had the opportunity to talk to uh, author Jim Butcher, author of the uh, Dresden Files and the Codex Alera series. He tells us all about the origins of some of the books and potentially a little bit of juicy information about the possible future of the Dresden Files TV series. Just before we get on to that, just uh, an update on our movements over the next couple of weeks. Uh, if you're around and about in London over this weekend, uh, Helen Arney has put together a series of movie screenings with additional commentary so she's got scientists and comedians in to come and provide some commentary and some insights into some classic sci-fi films such as Alien and Terminator 2 and a couple of other films Uh, so I will stick a link in the show notes to all the details about that. May Bank Holiday weekend we will be down in London for uh, the MCM Expo as usual so hopefully we'll see you all around and about there. Uh, We're then heading straight from London across to Bristol where we're going to be helping out at Lawgiver Mark II which is the annual Judge Dredd convention. We'll be there doing uh, some of the panels and the moderation there so uh, get yourselves along there if you're a Dredd fan. In the meanwhile please kick back and enjoy the interview with Jim Butcher. So, uh, it's, uh, if, if I'm correct in what I heard in the panel earlier today, this is your first time over here doing a con? Yes. How, how are you finding it? How does this kind of stack up against the big American cons? Um, this would be uh, at the smaller end of the conventions I do in the U.S., although not the smallest. Um, uh, uh, lately, I mean, most of the conventions I've been doing are things like Comic-Con and Dragon-Con, you know, where there's 75,000 people around or 150,000 people around. Um, uh, but, but I'm enjoying it here. Uh, I mean, it's a smaller convention, but that's nice. You can sit and talk with people, and mm-hmm. and you can get you can get a lot more of that kind of thing done than you can get at a, at a large convention, uh, where basically you just got to run and hide as soon as you're done. Otherwise, you'll have you'd be bombarded with people. Well, tell me, so, do you, do you get do you have to just basically go and hide backstage? You can't go out and kind of get mobbed by people. Um, it's a little bit different at Comic-Con. At Comic-Con, I can blend... There's so many people there, and there's... Uh, I'm not really famous at Comic-Con, because they've got, like, all the TV people there. Mm, yeah, so it's all the people uh, they see rather than the right. ones that they read. And so I can, I, can, I can vanish into the crowd, and hardly anyone will recognize me. I might get pulled over once or twice. Are you Jim Butcher? You know, and... and, and no, no, it's... I, no, it's I, just I, an excellent cosplay. Yes, no. <laughs> what are you talking about? But I haven't gotten to the point where I've got to, you know, show up on the floor in a Spider-Man costume or something. <laughs> In order to walk around, so now uh, I'm a massive gaming nerd as well. It sounds from listening to you talk today, it sounds like that's kind of where where, where your love of things like this came from. Yeah, I had to not I had to not start telling gaming stories in the gaming con the gaming panel. So you know, no such no such thing here. I'm, oh, exactly. I, want to, I want to hear stories about gaming panels. Oh, okay. Well. I've, I've been a, I was a role player from when I was nine. That's why right. I started D and D at nine. I was kind of inviting all the other kids on the street round on a Saturday morning to go, come on, play this game, it's awesome. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was I was one of about a dozen nerds in my high school who would admit to playing D&D, you know, so. Uh, uh, but I had to play it on the down low because my, my, my mom was real down on it. So she didn't want me playing it, so. 
I have to sneak off and play it at other kids' houses and, and tell her we were doing something else. Video games were a great excuse for that, you yeah. know. So it was seen as a very, very bad influence on children. Oh yeah. It, well, if yeah, if if you didn't actually ever play the game or know anything about it, and everything you knew about D and D came from a, a pamphlet that was written, you know, by the Jack Chick Foundation, yeah, yeah. and uh, uh, you know, and that's then that that was my mom's source of information. So. Yeah, did, did you see the, oh, it was in one of Tom Hanks' very first, very early movies called Mazes and Monsters. Oh, yes, yes. That yes, I remember that. The demons of role-playing. Yes. They drive you mad, you'll think you can fly and stab all your friends. Yeah, yeah, if if D&D makes you stab all your friends, if that's the if that's the, the nudge that pushes you over the edge, you were standing pretty close <laughs> to it anyway. So what was it that, that kind of drove you into into the writing? Was that what, what kind of sparked that off? Well, that and I actually had my mom, uh, my, my mom actually made me, made me get rid of or burn my, my, my fantasy book collection, those those satanic Piers Anthony novels, you know. Uh, the uh, Zant series. Yes, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Zant series, which, I mean, dude, don't get me wrong, I mean, some of those puns really called for those books to be burned anyway. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> But uh, uh, I think it was that at that point it was inevitable that I would become a, uh, I would write them in the future. You know, so. Cool. And was it? Did you kind of come to decide that urban fantasy was what you wanted to do, or did you try other genres first? Oh yeah. Well, no. I wanted to write swords and horses fantasy. That's what I was going to do. That was the plan. And uh, I didn't write anything else uh, until my my writing teacher started suggesting maybe you should try a few more things, a few other things. And uh, so I tried this X Files E ripoff sort of uh, book, and they, you know, it was awful. Like the other books I'd written had been awful up to that point. And uh, then uh, at one point she asked me if I was, uh, or, or I, I, I'd been fighting her for semesters and semesters on, on what she was trying to teach me because I knew better. Uh, I was about 25 at the time, and I knew more than any, anybody about writing. And uh, after all, I did have a degree in English literature. <laughs> You know, with an emphasis in creative writing, whereas she had merely published 40 novels, so what did she know? And um, I decided uh, one year that I was going to prove to her how wrong she was about everything she was trying to teach me, and the device I chose to use to do this was that I was just going to do everything she told me to do. And uh, I, would, I was going to fill out her worksheets and do her little wooden character creation stuff and, and use her all her little story structure things and her, her, her stupid story structure for, 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 for finales. And, you know, and, and then she would see what, what total, utter, cookie-cutter, pablum crap resulted from, from that kind of rigid process and thinking. And so I wrote the first book, The Dresden Files, <laughs> which, which clearly demonstrated to her exactly how wrong she was. Um, and from then on, uh, I, started, I started thinking less and less about how intelligent I was and uh, a little bit more and more about maybe I should listen to people who have been there and done that. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so that, that was when my career actually started going somewhere. You know, I actually sold some books and, and, and you know, sold a second series and got going. But, mm -hmm. uh, I had a lot to unlearn uh, first. <laughs> so. so you had a plan for the Dresden Files, but was there any particular characters that have developed well and have out more than you anticipated. Oh, uh, Butters, absolutely. Butters was a was a one shot character that I needed for some light comic relief uh, uh, while they were doing this really hideous uh, uh, corpse examining scene, uh, where they were going to work out exactly how badly this corpse had been messed up before it, before the person had been killed, and I needed somebody to add a little bit of, a little bit of levity to that, 
you know, because mm -hmm. uh, I didn't want to just throw grim, 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 you know, uh, it's got to be grim, 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 joke, grim, grim, and otherwise <laughs> people get depressed. Uh, so uh, initially he was meant to just be that one-off character, and then he was funny enough that I wanted to use him again in the next book for another scene, so he showed up for another scene in the next book. And then the book after that uh, was gonna was the book where, where Harry goes up against a bunch of uh, uh, Games Workshop necromancers. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I, I, I was trying to think, who's the perfect sidekick for this, for, for Harry's going up against necromancers? The medical examiner, because not only he is he thematic, thematically appropriate, but he won't be any actual help at all to Harry the entire time. But he will be somebody who's new to all this, and so we'll have to Harry will have to explain things to him along the way, and that makes him ideal for uh, uh, purposes of of, uh, uh, of storytelling, uh, because this was going to be the first hardback novel that I had, so it was going to be the point where a lot of people kind of jumped into the Dresden Files. And uh, uh, you know, I wanted to be able to make sure that that I that I could explain that world to somebody who'd never picked up a book before very well with the, with book seven. So, uh, and after that, there was kind of no stopping him. Uh, you know, after that, it'd be by Butters did wind up to be helpful and, and brave by the end of the book, and set him up for for future things which are now coming true. And now he's a Jedi Knight. So, because mm, he's also a check for Harry as well. He tries and wanders around and makes sure he's okay. And, and it, he does. Yeah, he's he's well. He's been kind of Harry's, you know, nagging little. Uh, 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 he he's been the naggy doctor. He's been Bones uh, to to the Dresden Files crew for a while now. So, but yes. So so Butters uh, uh, Butters was a, was somebody who who shocked me in terms of of you know the character who sort of. Introduced himself and then said, "No, no, really, I'm awesome enough that you need to write me into the books." I'm like, okay. Just and, okay. And, and now he's getting to be every nerd's, you know, and and every nerd's fantasy hero. You know, he's, he's got a lightsaber. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> so, so he's been a great deal of fun. Yes, my my friends have said that they want more Thomas. Hmm. Does that Thomas hasn't shown up for a while? They're right. <laughs> um. Actually, Thomas is in the is in the first the first sentence of the next book. So, ah, the next book will be largely concerned with Thomas. So. When's up to you out? Um, I'll have to finish writing it first. Oh, okay. Uh, unfortunately, there's not too much more than that than that sentence, but that's okay. It's it's underway. It'll it'll get done in time. I think it's due September something. So I'll have it turned in by this fall. What was the kind of decision process behind setting it in Chicago? <laughs> my writing teacher wouldn't allow me to set it in Kansas City, <laughs> okay. uh, which is my hometown where I initially set the books. And she said, Jim, you're already walking close enough to Laurel Hamilton's toes that you don't need to set your story in Missouri as well. I'm like, where else do I set it? She says, it doesn't matter. Somewhere else, anywhere else, just not Missouri. There was a globe on her desk. On the globe, four American cities were marked. Um, I didn't want to use New York because the superheroes have New York all sewn up. Mm. I didn't want to use DC because if you use DC, you've got to write politics, mm. and that's going to lose you half your audience or more. Um, I didn't want to write Los Angeles because I didn't want to have to learn things about Los Angeles. <laughs> so. 
the remaining city on the map was Chicago. I said, how Chicago? She says, fine, Chicago, whatever, just not Missouri. <laughs> and that was the decision process that led me to Chicago. It did mean that you could bring Sue into the books. Uh, that was until later, though. I yeah. mean, and, and that was after I'd, already, after I'd already written the books and was watching a, a History Channel show uh, about Sue. And I, and I just watched it with my mouth open. I think I was, in, I, was, I was currently writing Stormfront when I saw this show. And it's like, oh, I've got to use this. I've got to use this. <laughs> and, you know, saved it up, saved it up. For like five years I waited to write that scene. Finally got to write it. It's like, oh. Harry and a large dinosaur. Delayed gratification fulfilled. <laughs> so awesome. Have you uh, have you come across the game Watch Dogs on the PS4 yet? I have not. Because uh, it's just it's a, it's a kind of hacker game and it's set in Chicago. Okay. It's, it's quite cool. To, uh, I think I've only been there for six hours. Yes. To try to find the, the massive shiny thing that the, the coffee bean. Ah thing. well, it's a PlayStation, so I haven't played it. Ah. Uh, I'm an Xbox sort of person. So. Right. Well, actually, I'm a PC gamer, but my son got me addicted to Halo, so. Halo was a good enough game that I needed to learn how to use the little controllers, and finally did. And, and you know, basically just followed him around and, and shot the occasional monster off his back. <laughs> uh, I was very much a PC gamer to begin with, kind of a bit of a retro gamer. What sort of stuff are you playing at the moment? Uh, right now, I'm I'm really into League of Legends. Ah, online. yes. And uh, I'm getting to the point now where I can finally start playing it as kind of a chess game, where I can start predicting what the other guy's going to do, and then. You know, have to have my own counter lined up for him, and, and if I can, if I can think ahead of him, that I'll win, and if not, then I won't. And but I'm finally getting to where I can keep up with the kids, because uh, my son is a ridiculously skilled player, and 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 so I'm finally getting to the point where I can play on his team and not just be an endless drag on the team, and occasionally even cover his back when the game turns against him. You know, so uh, that's a that's a nice feeling. So you did um, the Codex Alera books as well. Yes. Um, so that um, comes from very much more of a fantasy oh, yes. section. Um, much more, much more swords and horses fantasy, yeah. Which is you finally got to do it in the end. Yes. Um, how was writing those books? A, a lot of fun. Um, the great thing about 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 the Alara books was is that by the time I get done with a with a Harry Dresden book, I'm really I'm just ready to murder Harry Dresden. I, I get so sick of that guy. Uh, I mean, a reader will read him and, and will be will hang out with Harry for a, a couple of days or a week, uh, but I've got to put up with him for months on end, and I've got to put up with him doing all kinds of obstreperous nonsense that I have to rewrite and, and, and fix. Uh, so by the time I get done with the Dresden book, I'm so ready to be rid of that guy, and it's so nice to be able to, it was so nice to be able to go over to Alara where they had a completely different set of problems and where I could... Uh, I could tell the story in so many different ways because I had all these different point of view characters I could skip between and I could, I could use uh, the various points of view to my advantage as a storyteller or, or perhaps it was just extra rope with which to hang myself if it, if it didn't work out the way I wanted it to. Um, but, and then by the time I get finished with Alara, I'll be like, I am so sick of this place and all these different viewpoints and I'm keeping track of everything and who knows what and who doesn't. Oh, I'm losing my mind. Thank God, back in the saddle with Harry Dresden where he's just got his one point of view and I can only tell the story, you know, just from, from, from seeing, you know, from behind his eyes. Yay. And burn and, stuff up. And, 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 yeah, I'll go blow some stuff up and burn some things down and, and we'll have a good time. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, you can only watch... Uh, uh, you know, you, you can only watch Schindler's List so many times before you need to see a Michael Bay movie and, and have things explode. So, 
Oh, good. Back to the Dresden Files. <laughs> uh, you told an interesting story at the panel earlier. If you don't mind repeating it, is, is how you came to write the Codex Alera series. Initially, the Codex Alera was born. I, I wrote it on a bet. Um, I wish I could say it was a brilliant inspiration, but what it really was was an argument on the internet. Um, it was one of those. It was one of those arguments that it, it was happening on the the Delray Online Writers Workshop, and where there was a bunch of us aspiring writers on there, and we would critique each other's work. And we would talk about you know theory about the craft of storytelling, and it was one of those discussions that when you see. Uh, when you saw it in the thread, you would just immediately hit uh, reply and then caps lock and start talking, because uh, and then start typing, because it was flame war time, and the flame war was going back and forth between the two sides, and I was a champion on one side, and there was another guy who was a champion on the other, and my side was this, uh, or his side was the had the idea that what you really needed to tell a good story was a holy idea, capital H, capital I. And that if you had a sufficiently good idea, it didn't matter how badly you told the story, uh, that idea would carry the story through. And the idea that he that uh, they listed as, as an example was Jurassic Park. You know, this idea is so strong, cloned dinosaurs. You can't miss with it. It doesn't matter how badly you write it. You're not going to be able to, to screw this one up to where people won't like the idea. And the other side, uh, and the side that I was championing, championing was the, the side that, that, that held out that it was the writer's presentation that mattered more than anything else. That it didn't matter if you had an old, worn-out idea, that if you, were a, if you were a good writer, if you could tell a good story, if you could put your own original spin on the presentation of that story, that you would be able to tell it successfully and entertain the reader. And, and our example was, how many versions of Romeo and Juliet have we seen, and yet we still keep making more of them? So that discussion went back and forth for a while, and it was it was you know the all caps discussion. And finally, this guy uh, on the other side says, "Why don't you put your money where your mouth is? Why don't you write? You know, why don't you let me give you a bad idea and see you write a, a, a saleable property out of it?" And because it was the internet, and because I was about you know, it's because I was in my twenties, I, I looked back at him and said, "No, why don't you give me two bad ideas and I'll use them both." And so the guy says, all right, first bad idea is Lost Roman Legions. I'm so sick of all the Lost Roman Legions. All the Lost Roman Legions should have been found by now. Uh, so Lost Roman Legions is your first bad idea. I'm like, okay, what's the second one? He says, Pokemon. I am so tired of Pokemon. I'm so tired of putting up with Pokemon. So I went out and, and, and started researching and, and found out that Roman Legions at the time, uh, uh, the, when you talk about Lost Roman Legions, everybody means the Ninth Hibernian Legion. And that... That legion was made up of about half uh, 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 Roman citizens, about half German mercenaries. And uh, I, th I thought to myself, okay, what if instead of marching off into enemy territory and being destroyed, they had marched off into a thunderstorm and vanished? And uh, where do they go? They go to the land of the Pokemon. So I put my Roman legion in the land of the Pokemon. And Pokemon itself is a, is a, is a conflation of two ideas. The first being the idea of Kami from the Shinto religion, that every natural object is inhabited by, uh, by a spirit. Uh, so a, a tree has a kami, a pool has a kami, a mountain has a kami, and you should respect these kami. They're very powerful. I and mean, even a pebble has a kami, and you should respect that one as well. But if you don't, what's going to happen is a pebble. Um, and and they, so they took this idea of kami, and then they, they, confl they, they, they added it to professional wrestling, and that's where we get Pokemon. Um, so I said, okay, well, let's 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 use this, and I've got to have a good name for him, because we have to hang everything from the name. And just then, in the background, Big Trouble in Little China was on, 
And in the background, uh, one, of, one of the old Chinese actors says, All motion in the universe is caused by tension between positive and negative furies. And I went, ooh, furies. It's even Greco-Roman. I can, I can use that. And so uh, I called these, I, I called these, these kami, I called them furies. And uh, I dropped my lost Roman legion off in the land of the Pokemon. And I gave them a couple thousand years to, to ferment and, and create the society. And then I started telling my story from there. And I eventually went back to the guy online and said, you know, uh, I'm not going to post it here because at the time we still weren't sure how the internet was going to interact with copyright law and how posting on things on the internet would, you know, how, how heavily they would be regarded as, as published or not. So I said, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to put it up here. I think I can actually sell this. And he's like, oh, so in other words, I'm right. And I'm like, yeah, dude, whatever, you're right. And uh, so he won the argument and I got a six book deal. Excellent. So, You've got a new series coming out soon. I do. Um, it's a steampunk series. I wanted to call it Steam Opera, but my editor informed me that, Jim, you can't just go making up genres. Uh, uh, and I was you know, in a very offended tone. I wanted to ask, why not? But <laughs> she assures me I can't. So uh, uh, this book, I, I like to say it's... it's uh, originally, I would say that it was X-Men meets Hornblower, except I wanted to sound more steampunky, so now I say it's Extraordinary Gentleman meets Hornblower. And uh, um, the series is called The Cinder Spires. The first book is called The Aeronauts Windless, and uh, it will be out in um, September of this year, I think September 29th. And uh, it's, my, it's the longest book I've ever written, uh, checking in at close to 200,000 words, so it'll be a, a big old doorstop of a book. Um, and uh, as far as uh, the pacing goes, it's set in a, in a time frame much more similar to the Dresden Files than to the Alara books. Um, but it's also a multiple person point of view uh, story being told from the point of view of many of the different characters. Mm -hmm. um, and I would like to tell you that 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 it's going to be it's going to be popular because it's got um, fun characters, or because it's got a good plot, or because it's got a world that's enjoyable. But at the end of the day, it's going to be popular because there's talking cats, <laughs> and talking cats are going to sell that, and and uh, uh, they they're going to make it go. And then they're they're just so tremendously fun to write. And uh, all 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 of my my beta readers that are reading it. They're like, I can't believe that you don't have cats because you write them just so brilliantly. And it's like, well, I don't really know cats so much, but I know people who have cats. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, I can I can write a story for those people, you know, with these cats. And they're and they're so much fun to write. They're such horrible little bullies. Uh, they kind of live as alongside uh, human society in this world, and uh, you sort of have to you have to respect the cats because uh, they have opposable thumbs. And, and matches. Mm. So uh, uh, if they get upset with you, they can do awful things to you. Uh, and, and you know, given their egos, they're 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 perfectly willing to. Um, you know, so you know the cattle show up and be like, I noticed that this warehouse is rodent free. Perhaps you would like it to continue to be rodent free. <laughs> you know, perhaps there will be cream waiting for us this week at three p.m. Um, you know, so you kind of got a little furry mafia running around, but. Uh, um, the cats, uh, uh, they speak their own language, they speak cat, and uh, uh, they understand English except when they don't. And uh, they just sort of generally uh, are, are just the most egotistical, awful little people, and yet they're cats, so they get away with it. And uh, uh, one of the, one of the, there's a cat who owns a human being who keeps a human as a pet and has taught her to speak cat. 
and her ability to speak to cats is, is what uh, makes her of interest to the uh, uh, to the local monarch of, of, of her of her spire, uh, the world of the cinder spires, uh, the surface is a very very dangerous place to live. It's it's like living in a war zone. So hardly anyone lives there. Uh, humanity sort of uh, dwells within these these enormous uh, black stone towers of nearly indestructible stone called the spires, and uh, all trade, all, all all commerce, all travel is done by via airship between these spires. Um, so when the, the spire arc, or the, 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 the local monarch of, 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 of her spire, uh, 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 sees that his spire is about to get into a war with another very powerful spire, and so he recruits a team that he might need to do to, to, to get things accomplished, sort of his own uh, personal mission squad. And one of the people he recruits is, is this girl, Bridget, who, who knows how to talk to cats because a cat has adopted her. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, and so she, she is so... That, and since cats are everywhere and they're very quiet and they see and hear everything, uh, uh, they actually have all kinds of information and they're extremely valuable allies and extremely dangerous enemies to be made. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, and the, the, the spirearch is clever enough to know, you know, to understand the, the implications of that. So, uh, so he recruits for as part of his team a girl who can actually speak to cats and go and extend his, his, his uh, diplomatic overtures towards them. Uh, he recruits a a, a, a down-on-his-luck privateer, uh, uh, who was a very, very skilled privateer, but ha actually happened to anger the wrong people in the enemy's fire and, and have to confront this uh, horribly power. They sent a horribly powerful warship to confront him, and, and he barely got out of it with his with his hide intact and his ship all damaged, and you know, beyond his ability to repair it. And so these Bayarchas tells him, well, if you'll work for me, then I will... I will fix your ship, and that's the one thing that the captain, no matter how independently, independently minded he may be, that's the one thing the captain of a ship can't say no to. It's like, oh, you're going to give me my ship back. You know, now I've got to do it. And uh, and, and so basically, we, we've got a pirate and 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 the girl who talks to cats and a princess. There's uh, there's wizards in this world, although they're called etherealists, uh, uh, and etherealists are, are, are they they work with a. Uh, um, um, an energy that, that that exists in this world uh, called etheric energy, and uh, they're 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 all quite mad. And the only question is if is if they're harmlessly I'm a little bit weird mad, or if they're the smiling and perfectly calm, polite voices inviting you to tea mad. Uh, at which point you get hacked up with an axe or something even more horrible. Uh, uh, so. Uh, uh, we, you know, we've got an etherealist and an etherealist apprentices on the team, and they're both just dotty as hell, and I love writing them. Um, uh, and just sort of generally speaking, we, 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 there, there's this war that's, that's gearing up between these two spires, and, and these people are cast into the middle of it, and they have to find, a way, they have to find ways to, to work together and to trust each other and to generally uh, uh, perform like a team. So it's the first episode of X-Men mm -hmm. uh, uh, is, is, is really what I'm writing here. So... Uh, I've had I had a great deal of fun writing, and I got a very strong response from my beta readers, stronger than than even I get from Dresden Vile stuff. Mm. Um, and uh, and and I had a lot of fun, and hopefully the readers will have a lot of fun too. Um, uh, I mean, it, it's it's I call it steampunk. It's technically it's probably not steampunk in its purest form, as it isn't set in in Victorian uh, London, which I think is the setting for most awesome steampunk. Uh, That's all. <laughs> There is no kind of proper steampunk. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I, I, you say that, but there are, there, are, there are proper steampunk people who would totally disagree. That, that's very true. Yeah. There are some very vocal people who would disagree with you. Yes, them. exactly. 
but it, it's that's the flavor I want to give it. Is we've got mm. a society uh, uh, that is a, a very mannered society, and and it has to be because they're kind of they're kind of kept in these fairly small places where you have to live very closely with your neighbors. Uh, so you know uh, that kind of uh, that kind of restraint is very important to their society, and uh, uh, and yet I'm going to get to throw them into these you know these horrible situations. And uh, but yeah, but we've got in, 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 there, there's wizards and intelligent ships and uh, uh, warrior monks and, and all kinds of fun stuff uh, that is stuff that I love reading about and 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 you know it's like oh I, I've got to be able to I've got to write some kind I've got to write some 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 naval style uh, 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 combat fiction uh, because I just love that stuff and so I've been having a very good time doing that. Awesome. We've got time for one more okay, before we finish up. Well, I was going to say, have you got any other kind of uh, any other projects in the wings in terms of like either TV or games? Because obviously there was the, the Dresden Files TV show. Yes. Is there any, any chance of that ever being resurrected or doing a new version of it? Or uh, right now, or something else? right now, the television rights to the Dresden Files have been optioned out. Um, I'm I'm not allowed to say with who. Okay. Um, in my perfect world. Uh, uh, we would see the Dresden Files reappear as something that was a, as a feature production series. Mm. Um, in in my absolute perfect world, it's Netflix that takes it on because uh, mm. Netflix has got the money to be able to, to invest in it in, in a really good show, Absolutely. and they've got the they've kind of got the scope to to be patient and let a show gather its mm. audience before you know before they decide whether or not they're gonna they're they're gonna they're gonna pay, they're gonna cancel it. So much of TV today is driven by well, can you survive the first season? Absolutely, and it's very fickle. It is. It's very fickle, and it doesn't give you a lot of time to build something really cool. And building something really cool does not happen instantly. Uh, it's really hard. It's it's really hard to pull that off. And and especially in TV, when you're you're telling a, a serialized type story, you you want time for the audience to to gather and for be able to anticipate and to be able to see all the different parts of the world, so that when when shocking things happen, they can tell that it's different enough from this from the norm that they they they, sh they should be shocked by this. Mm. You know, oh my God, Angel just killed Miss Calendar. You know, I mean that was a big deal yeah, because yeah. it had been built up for so long. I guess that the Netflix model is either it's either a really good thing or a really bad thing that you know they'll, they'll produce a show and then they'll release the whole of it in a season on a day, which can either be really good or really bad depending That's on how you view it. No, so, yeah, but some some shows. Do. Hmm. Oh, I I, I, I I admire it actually. Um, I mean, uh, um, one of the fun things that 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 the the whole Netflix phenomenon has let you do is go back and find shows that you haven't seen before and just binge on them and go, yeah. oh my gosh, the Doctor Who is actually kind of nifty, you know. Um, I think Breaking Bad actually said it was because of Netflix that they ended up so big that people, it was a very slow burner. It increased the audience right. as time went on. And then people went back to the start and had the ability to watch it. Right, and which, to see where it all came from. Um, and, and which I, then uh, got people to watch the TV show once they caught up. Right. So that's without that, they don't think it would have ever been so big. I think we'll. I think we'll. If you had seen Babylon Five, if it had been released today mm -hmm. instead of in the '90s, that you would have a similar reaction to it because that the, the strength of that show was in the duration of, of its of its uh, of its building. Yeah, the Dres ongoing story was really what made it. Dresden's very much about an ongoing story arc, and you've got the initial kind of let's blow things up, and, and you've got all these interesting things. There's a hook. But then it's all about the progression of the character. Yeah, uh, 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 as Harry, you know, becomes more and learns more and, and gets to be, 
you know, he's heading, he's heading Gandalf words, uh, uh, but learning to be a wizard is something that takes a long time, and, uh, and learning all these valuable lessons, and, or, or painful lessons, as the case may be, uh, is something that you wouldn't give, you wouldn't, I don't think an audience would really give it credit if they didn't go through it with him. And see, okay, well, this is how you end up. You know, this is how you end up with that, with that kind of personality as a wizard uh, of that, of the the, the subtle, uh, subtle and sudden sort of wizard, uh, and which is what Harry is, has been sort of growing toward. Uh, but yet, it was fun to write the the young hothead wizard who who who, who was just quick to anger. There was no subtlety there at all. Uh, and that was and, and that was all kinds of fun to write, but yeah, but but yeah, we're showing the character growing. Uh, if you don't do that, then then you start losing people. Uh, you, people start if you, you just get caught in that same cycle of the same action over and over. Yeah, it's not nearly as compelling. So yeah, it'd be quite important to have that as part of the TV show. Um, oh yes. Rather than. Yeah, and, and that, I think that was one of the things about the the uh, Dresden in the in the in the series got. That came out on Sci-Fi was was that he was in many ways already that more mature person, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, you really you've got to start him somewhere different than where you where he ends up, and all your character needs to start somewhere different than where they end up. Lovely. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your thank time, you. sir. Thank you very much. Pleasure talking to you. Great fucking guns!